Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad that you're here. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at our Life Church Guys Retreat that took place in February of 2022. The sermons are a three-part series on community, accountability, and responsibility. This last sermon from our 2022 Guys Retreat is from Pastor Sean, and it's on the subject of responsibility and the idea that the devil will do whatever it takes to make you feel small. This last sermon is titled, Between Two Robes. Thanks, brother. I've been with this guy uh, like a decade. We were just talking about uh, Isaiah and I and Jaime, his friend over here. We were just talking about how uh, Pastor Dallas actually was Isaiah's children's pastor in California. And so uh, we go we go way back. So uh, let's pray and we'll start. God, we love you and uh, we honor you. Thank you for who you are, for what you do, what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do for every guy in this room and the dreams and the destinies that they hold within themselves. I pray that all of those things would well up within us, God, that when we leave this place, we would have the definition of who it is that you've called us to be and that we would be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I appreciate you guys being here. It's an honor to look at uh, all of your faces and all of the places that you could be and coming out of a pandemic as we have and the fact that you, that you drove two hours to be here it's, it's significant. It's not just significant for me. It's not just significant for you, but it's significant for each other and what it is that you'll do for, for each other. And it felt like we would never get here again. It felt like the world had shut down, like it was never going to reopen. And in the middle of a global shutdown, there were a lot of personal shutdowns, a lot of people who closed down, closed off to each other, closed off to the people who they love, people who were locked inside of homes with each other, who for about a week that felt amazing. And then after that week, it felt like you wished that you could be locked in with someone, anyone other than the people who you were locked in with. And the enemy used that. The enemy loves to use bondage to try to make us feel small. And last night as I sat and uh, sat at some random cigar lounge in some random town with a bunch of random people, it was like a dream come true for me. There's, uh, years ago, I read this doctoral dissertation that somebody wrote called The Community of the Cigar, and I began a pursuit of trying to buy a cigar lounge. I've been trying to buy a cigar lounge. I've been trying to buy the Appleton Cigar Lounge, actually, for five years, and, and Bob and I have been negotiating back and forth, and we'll come to a price, and then and I, and I, just, I just couldn't pull it off. No matter what I tried, I haven't been able to pull it off. And I could see the vision. Sometimes you'll see a vision that nobody else can see. And, and, and it's just like, like swimming in peanut butter to try to make that thing happen. And so, I mean, literally gone back and forth and negotiated and came to a deal and thought I had the money, then didn't have the money. And all the while, I don't really have any desire to run a cigar business. Like uh, the thing that I love about the exchange is the community of the exchange. The thing I hate about the exchange is the business of the exchange. I have a business mind. I have a business degree. But at the same time, the thought of payroll and the thought of employees and then people leave and then there's turnover and then you have to close. We had a, 
a day here a few days ago, where, a few weeks ago, where we had to close the entire exchange because there was like one employee that didn't have COVID. And, and in the midst of that, you, what you see is, is you, you don't see the connections that are lost. Suddenly you see the income that is lost. And so that wasn't what I wanted for a cigar lounge. What I really wanted was what we had last night. The, the concept of this doctoral dissertation called the community of the cigar was this, this guy came up with a theory that you could go to any city in North America, go to the closest cigar lounge, you could sit down, and before you left that night, you would have made a meaningful connection with someone. And men lack relationships. We're closed off. We're, we're either too tough or we're too insecure to connect with each other. And so this idea was that you could go, and it is the great connector. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, it is the great equalizer. The person who rules in the cigar lounge is the person who knows the most about cigars. And so if it's a plumber, then that guy is the guy who kind of rules and reigns over that domain. And you'll have a you know, thoracic surgeon who's sitting next to him who is subservient to him because it is all about the idea of the product. And, and this, this guy, he toured, like this was his dissertation. He toured for a year to cities across North America that just smoke cigars. And I was like, bro, that's so sick. Like I read it and he proved his thesis to be accurate. And every city that he went in, no matter where it was, whether it's in Canada, whether he went to Mexico, and he went all across America. And within one evening, he would have this connection because men have this weird thing where there is a connection over that. Think about cigars, whether you're a fan of cigars or not. I've never been in a church, never thought I would be, in a church where you could openly, where you could openly talk about something like that. Or you could openly talk about uh, some, some men like to uh, sip of the sin juice, as Pastor Keith so, so eloquently called it. Some men, some men like it in uh, a Scottish form. Some people like it in an Irish form. Some people like it in a Latin form. They like, like it's a little clear liquid they like. Some people like it in the Southern form, like Pastor Barry. Pastor Barry is basically the human version of bourbon. <laughs> so some people love it in all these different areas. And so we never thought I'd be in a church environment where men would openly talk about the fact where from time to time, they, they may sip of the nectar of the land. And I never thought that I would be in a church where men would openly talk about, oh, yes, I, I do love to have a cigar. And here's the thing. Women connect over coffee. For some reason, there's a connection that happens because this idea that this guy, this is what his conclusion was. The reason that there is that community is because in that setting, you have to slow down. We don't like to slow down. We, we want to go like nonstop, 24-7. And it, when, you, when you partake in a Cigar, you, you, have to, you have to focus. There's a maintenance to it. There's a, there's a, there's a certain idea of, of if, 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 you, if you puff too fast, you get sick. If you puff uh, too slow, it goes out. And then you got to relight it. And when you relight it, it kind of loses the effect because now it tastes a little bit tarry. It tastes a little bit ashy. And so you, you, you have to have a maintenance and you, and you have to light it the right way. There's an art form to it. If you you got to light it the right way so there's not an uneven, but you got to cut it the right way so that there's a good draw. And if there's not a draw, you got to take a little 
poke stick and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put another little hole in it. It's just a, it's, it's an art form. And so all of that to say that it's, it just makes people, makes people slow down. And so last night to sit in a room with like 40 guys was a bit like, whoa, I couldn't believe it. They just walked in and I couldn't believe how many, it was interesting is that there were a number of people in there who weren't partaking in the smoke. Well, they were partaking in the smoke because it was inevitable, like it was unavoidable. It was like Cheech and Chong in a van. It was insane how, I'd never seen that much smoke. I've been in, like, like my, you could have your house be on fire and there would be less smoke than there was in that room. I watched, Roger, I felt like Roger's beard was going to catch on fire and just, just spontaneously combust. And, uh, and so it's this idea of seeing this connection and to see this dream last night that, uh, that kind, of became, kind of became a reality almost by accident. I have, I have dreams in my life. I have aspirations, things that, that have happened, things that, that I want to have happen, th- dreams that I had that didn't happen, partially because the opportunity didn't present itself or because I didn't grab the opportunity when the opportunity did present itself. And we all have those that you look back on and you can live in regret. But the beautiful thing is that life is bigger in the windshield than it is in the rearview mirror. And so we spend so much of our time looking back on the opportunities that we missed, that we're missing opportunities that are presenting themselves in real time. And I think that there are opportunities that are being presented to us, opportunities post-pandemic that have never been presented to any group of men that is being presented to us with an opportunity to own a city by owning our own homes and by owning our own actions. This idea of manhood that has been so distorted for so long, this, this idea that when you come to a men's retreat, <laughs> it almost feels like they're going to kick your butt the whole time that you're there. Lots of guys, like I never wanted to go to men's stuff, even when I was on staff at churches, because it was like, I knew that from the minute that I got there, it was going to be a string of speakers who was like their assignment was to make me feel small. Their assignment was to convince me that I wasn't a good enough husband, that I, that I wasn't a good enough father, that I wasn't a good enough servant in the church. I didn't give enough money. I did, and it's like, it was like this constant barrage of negativity and animosity that they had towards me. And it made me feel like, did I have to pay 50 bucks to come here so that you could yell at me? You could have just texted me that. I could have been made feel small for free. And so what I've loved about our men's retreats over the years is that it's really our opportunity to speak life into you and to speak life over you. And the thing that the Holy Spirit has really been speaking over and over in my mind about this particular session is this idea that the enemy will do everything he can to make you feel small. The title that I gave to this message was Between Two Robes between two robes. When I think about robes, I think about old school wrestling. I, I loved old school wrestling. And I, I, lo- I mean, I love the WWF, not WWE. I didn't, I didn't like the WWE because it's a little pornographic for me. I, I liked the WWF before, like when the only chicks were, you know, the magnificent moolah, and uh, Cindy Lauper, and nobody lusted after Cindy Lauper. Like no, it was just mm, okay. Girls just want to have fun. Good luck, you know. You just like now, now it's like it's like a Victoria's Secret 
ad when you turn it on. And so I've never been a WWE guy, but it's a WWF guy. And, and my, my favorite guy in the WWF was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. First of all, because he, he, just, he just was built. Like he just, he looked like he probably worked out at CrossFit one time. He just was this put together. And he had these magnificent robes, just velvet and sequins. And now when I look back at it, they're a bit feminine. But they were, they were magnificent. He had a great Mr. Wonderful. Or I always loved Ric Flair. First of all, because of the way that he talked. You know, he's a styling, profiling son of a gun. Like he, limousine riding, private airplane flying. Like he's just, he, some, somehow Ric Flair has become an icon, even though he hasn't wrestled in a hundred years. But the thing I loved about Ric Flair was his showmanship. He, he, had, he had these robes and he, he had dozens of robes. And, and there's this story in the scriptures uh, about a robe that is so significant. I mean, it's really the story about a dreamer. Uh, Joseph is the great dreamer in the scriptures. But before we get to Joseph, there's a there's an interesting story in, in Numbers chapter 13, and maybe you've, you've heard the story and uh, the children of Israel have wandered in the, in the wilderness for, you know, like 40 years and should have taken them a few weeks and they've wandered around and they've complained and they've, they've just meandered and, and they've gotten themselves stuck and they finally got to the place where they can go in and take the land that had been promised to them, which incidentally it had been promised to them far before they were born. There are promises in your life that have been promised for you before you were in your mother's womb. You know, the Bible says that before you were in your mother's womb, God knew you and he had a plan for your life. There is an agenda that God had for you before you were ever born. And from the moment that you were inside your mother's womb, from the moment of conception, the enemy has been trying to kill you, rob from you, steal your destiny and destroy your dream. And so for your whole life, God had a plan. He had a destiny. He had a dream for you. And the enemy has been coming against that dream your entire life. And so before the children of Israel ever got to the border of the promise, they had already been promised land. Generations before, they had been promised. And, and so spies are sent in. And you, you've probably heard the story a, a million times. Twelve spies go in and 10 of them come back. And, and he says, I want you to go in and I want you to uh, explore the land and the Bible says, of milk and honey, which sounds like weird because I don't really like milk or honey. So I was like, why would I want to, it's gross. But here's the milk. Milk actually is a metaphor. Both of these are metaphors. So milk is a metaphor for goats because that's where they got their milk. They got their milk from goats. And so when, when they said it is a land filled with milk, it was really him saying it is a land filled with goats or it is a land filled with animals. This, it's, you haven't eaten meat. They haven't eaten meat in forever. And so I want you to go in and God has promised that there is a land filled with the thing that you want that you aren't able to have. And so milk is a metaphor for goats or it is a metaphor for animals. And then honey is actually a metaphor. It wasn't bee honey, it was date honey. And so it was a metaphor for dates or agriculture. And so what he's saying is, I want you to go into this land that is filled with animals and filled with agriculture. It's filled with all the things that you wished you had that you don't have. And God has given us a promise 
to give us all of the things that we've been dreaming about, all of the things that we've been wishing for, all of the things that you've been fantasizing about, other than the weird ones that Pastor Dallas talked about. He's given you all the things that you have desired from the moment that you were born. He, he has already promised you the dreams and the destinies that are trapped inside of you that the enemy has tried to make you feel are insignificant or impossible. And so they go in, the spies, so they see it, and they're like, oh, yes, this is great. And in one part, it says that they come across this vineyard of grapes, and the grapes are so large that it takes two men to carry them on a stick. Like, that's crazy. So I don't know if that means that there were so many grapes in the cluster or that the grapes were so big. That's what I picture. I picture, like, these giant, like, beach ball-sized grapes that hopefully they didn't have seeds that they were trying to figure out like where do I even bite in to this grape and there's dudes that are carrying them and they're like yes I picture like the dwarfs like oh we oh 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 like this is like real stuff that happened right and you can read it boring if you want but I choose to read it like it was dope. So like these guys are carrying it and they show up and they're like, bro, yeah, like remember you said, yeah, this is so sick, man. It is filled with milk and honey. And they were like, bro, they probably had all kinds of meat and they probably ate all kinds of agriculture. They gained five pounds on their observation trip. And then they came back and they gave the whole description. And then they said, but we can't, you know, it's got all the stuff that we've been promised but we certainly don't have the strength to take it. And when asked why they didn't have the strength to take it, here's what they said. We saw giants there. We looked like grasshoppers next to them. And here's the line. And that's what they thought too. Hmm. How you know that? Did, did, you, have, did you have a conversation with said giant? Or did you just assume that when that giant looked at you, he thought you were small and weak. Like, has the enemy really told you that you're weak? Or have you just looked and, and perceived the fact that because of the sins that you have in your life, because of, the, because of the proclivities or because of the habits, because of the thoughts that you have, have you perceived in your own mind that he perceives you as weak. He does not perceive you as weak because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if he sees Jesus in you, he already knows that you're stronger than him. So you view yourself as weaker than somebody who's already perceived themselves as weaker than you. And so they come in and suddenly they determined that they were too small. And the enemy is trying to convince you that you are too small to be a good husband. Well, the minute that you got married, you already were equipped to be a good husband. You are a man. She is a woman. You have everything that you need <laughs> to be a good husband. That's it. He has convinced you that you, you are too small to be a good dad. Why? Because you didn't have a good dad or because you didn't have a dad? I mean, I mean you, just heard, you just heard from two guys, one who didn't have a dad and one who, who's, whose dad dipped out and was kind of in and out of his life periodically throughout his life, who have both become great dads. There's a room filled with guys in here who, who had absentee fathers who have become good fathers. You just have never taken the opportunity to connect with them because your insecurities have made you feel small. But you aren't small. Like there's nothing about you. Like small compared to what? Small compared to who? 
And so in Genesis 37, the Bible tells this beautiful story, and you've, you've heard it a million times about, about Joseph. And every time I read this story about Joseph, I think about the John Lennon song. You may say, I'm a dreamer. And it's the terrible song, and there's nothing godly probably about him or the song. It's just a sick lick. You know, it's just like, it's, but I'm not the only one. You know, it's just like, mm, that's a, I don't care who you are. That's a good song. And so uh, I listen to this story about Joseph and I go, here's Joseph and he's a dreamer and he's his dad's favorite. And so because he's his dad's favorite, the people who aren't his favorite, the ones who aren't aligned with it. See, Joseph wasn't his dad's favorite because of how he looked. He wasn't his dad's favorite because of anything that he did other than line himself up with his father. See, his brothers were out of line with their father. They weren't in alignment with their father's vision. And so because they weren't in alignment with their father's vision, it was inevitable that they wouldn't be his favorite because you can never be the favorite of someone you're in rebellion against. And so Joseph is in connection with his father. He's in alignment with his father. And so because he's in alignment with his father, he's his favorite. And so my friend Alan Griffin has these t-shirts that says, I'm God's favorite. Now he sells them and on the back it says, and you are too. But I have the original one that didn't have the you are too on the back. It just says, I'm God's favorite. And sometimes I wear that shirt just to make people mad. And the conversations that it sparks up and people will say, oh, how are you God's favorite? Because I am. Why are you God's favorite? How come you're God's favorite and I'm not? I don't know if you're not God's favorite. The reason I'm God's favorite is because him and I are connected. We're, we're in alignment. And so Joseph's in alignment. And when you're in alignment with your father and you find yourself in favor because of that alignment, suddenly the people who aren't in alignment or don't have favor get mad at you. And so here he is and he's in alignment. And so because he's in alignment with his father, his father gives him this beautiful robe. The, the Bible calls it the coat of many colors. And so he has this beautiful, uh, majestic Ric Flair robe that his, that his father has put on him. And like every young guy who's given a little bit of favor, he kind of wears it with pride. You ever see a young guy kind of gets rookies in the league? You're this, you could tell a rookie, you could tell a guy has been in the league like 12 years, like the guys who are the rookies and they got the pictures of them walking onto the plane and Instagram, they are decked out. Like they got a $4,000 bag and you go, mm, I hope you don't get cut. Like you just, like you got, and then you got dudes like who've been on a team, they're on like their third contract and he's got like a Carhartt backpack, you know, just like, bro, this guy just signed a $20 million a year deal. Like people who are new in favor, they don't know how to treat it. And so like, Joseph's, he's kind of arrogant. He's kind of prideful. He's, he's, he wants people to see the robe. And so, you know, he shows up to his brothers. And you know the story. His brothers get so mad. They get frustrated at it. They, you know, knock him upside the head. They think they kill him. And, uh, and they throw him in a pit. So that's Genesis 37. When you get to Genesis 41, it's been 13 years. And, and something really, really interesting happens in, in Genesis 41 is, is Joseph has interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And so he stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, who everyone in the kingdom interpreted as God incarnate. When he brings Joseph to him and, and he declares him as his number two in the kingdom, the Bible says he places a robe on him. This is the first thing he does. But Joseph had to have the father's robe removed before he could ever get the Pharaoh's robe. 
And some of you, you've lost favor here or somebody dipped out or you lost a friendship or somebody got mad, you got saved. Suddenly they're not, I had the same best friend from kindergarten through the 12th grade, Charles Smith. We're together every single day from kindergarten through the 12th grade. His, his uh, sisters called me the breakfast man because I would show up at their house every morning, seven o'clock for breakfast because his mama bought sugar cereal and mine didn't. And so I would wait, I would eat at his house. We were together every day. He went to college, I went to college. When I went to college, I became a Jesus guy. When he went to college, he became a Muslim. He had became part of the nation of Islam. And Charles Smith and I have never talked again. Never. Not one conversation. And that has like wounded me. That has hurt me. And there are people in your life that will walk out because suddenly you guys are on a different trajectory. And so what happened in between those two robes? You, you had the pit, you had Potiphar's house, you had prison, you had the palace, and then he becomes the prime minister. And, and in our book, it's just four chapters, but in his life, this 13 years, and, and like I wonder how long you've spent between two robes. How long have you spent between the time that you felt like God called you to something or God gave you a dream and the time that you actually began to realize that dream. And what's fascinating is even when he gets Pharaoh's robe, he still lives a life of difficulty. Like he, he's responsible for an entire nation. If, if you don't comprehend the weight that is upon Joseph as he is the prime minister of Egypt, he is responsible for feeding the world, including his family, his brothers who who beat him, put him in a pit, threw him down in the, like suddenly he is responsible for the people who afflicted him. And sometimes God is gonna ask you to serve the people who afflicted you. And it won't seem fair, like it'll piss you off. But when God gives you favor, he gives you favor to share. He gives you favor to spread. And, and, and so when, when his brothers in 37 took his robe they were trying with everything they had to remove his favor. And some of you, God's given you favor. He's given you favor as husbands. He's given you uh, physical favor. Some of you guys, like you woke up today just buff. It's ridiculous. Have you ever seen guys, they don't even work out? You just go, really? I've been working out for six months and I gained four pounds and my pants are too tight now. And the guy wakes up and he eats a piece of cheesecake and he's got hip cradles. You're like, that's not even fair. Or have you ever seen people that they just wait, they just, they, they just make money doing nothing? It just feels like everything they do, they feel, it feels like they're Midas, everything that they do turns to gold and you've been, you've been grinding, you went to school, you got a degree, everything that you've done, you've had investments and it feels like no matter what you do, you, you still feel like you're living in mediocrity and yet these, yet these people, they feel like no matter what they do, they feel successful and then sometimes you see people like that and they're not even believers and then that, like that confuses you and because the enemy is trying to make you feel small by making them look big. He's trying to make you look at them like they were giants. It's like when I hear giant, I don't think Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, he's think he's tall, right? He's big. He's he's, he's huge. And if he came in this room, he'd you know he'd fill that back doorway. This seven foot two, three hundred and fifty pounds. Like he's 
big. But I wouldn't come back and go, the land was filled with giants. Like when I think giants, I think like fee, five, oh, like the beanstalk guy. Like I think this is at least 10 feet tall. Like this is a massive giant. Like hold me like in the Iron Giant. Have you seen the little movie of the Iron? I feel like that. Like he's going to hold me in this, like the Thanos of his hand. Like I just think this is, that's a giant. And sometimes you look at someone who's big and you think that they're a giant, but it isn't that they're actually that big. It's just that you perceive yourself as that small. But you're not small. You are giants in the kingdom. The minute that you enter into a relationship with the Lord, you enter into this grandness of what it is that God has called you to do. And so as we sit here and we contemplate uh, what it is that God wants us to do, I love what Pastor Keith said about if you take the five people who are closest to you, whether that be finances or whether that be their personality, no matter what that be, if you take the five people closest to you and you accumulate what it is that they are, that's going to become the sum of who you are. And uh, 25 years ago, I heard this lady named Jeannie Mayo say this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Like, like who is it that you're surrounding yourself with? And so this weekend, you've been given the opportunity to surround yourself with people who are of like mind to you. Like if you want to start a business, this is fascinating because uh, when I was walking in, I, I heard... Scott Van, I overheard, I was eavesdropping on his conversation and he was talking about he, he used to uh, work in the corporate world and they used to have their meetings right here in this vicinity. And so they used to stay in this hotel. And now he's an incredibly successful restauranteur and is running a great venue with concerts and fantastic food. And he's doing things that no one else is doing. He's closed on Sundays. He's closing early. He's like limiting you know, the, the intake of spirits. And it's, it's like, it's a total opposite idea. Well, like if, here's the thing, if I want to start a restaurant, then I want to get around Scott because he's like, he's like really successful at that. But, but if I want to start a restaurant, like I, I don't, I don't want to hang around Jason. No offense. I, I want to hang around you because I love you and you're incredibly handsome. If I want to know something about the world's greatest knives, don't want to be around Jason. Do you feel me on that? And so, so what is it that you're dreaming about? What is it that you want to do? What is it like if, you, if you're going to start a business, you find people who understand that business, and then you find people who have money. <laughs> Preferably people who have money who either understand that business or love that business. And so in my dream of trying to start a cigar lounge, I found lots of people who love cigars, but none of them had any money. So they wanted to be a customer. They just didn't want to be an investor. And so I thought, well, at, at, at some point, I just felt like, well, maybe that dream is different for me. And so now through conversations with some other guys talking about what it is that I really want that to look like. God is reshaping that dream because I took that dream to be one thing, open a business, when really I didn't have any desire to deal with payroll or employees or inventory or POS system. I didn't have any desire to do any of that. You know what I want to do? Just sit around, dudes. 
Well, I don't need to buy a million dollar business <laughs> to sit around with guys. I got a device that's filled with people's names that I can text and say, hey, I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna be there at six o'clock. And if, if you guys wanna go, like I'd love to hang out and connect with you guys. Here's the interesting thing about Joseph is, is Joseph shared his dream and his words were too big for the ears that were hearing them. And I wonder how many of us, have you ever heard the old saying, it falls on deaf ears? I wonder how many of you have been sharing words that were too big for the ears that you're sharing them with. And that's why the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. Who are you connected to? Like when you're, when you're connected to people who don't have your same vision, who don't have your same dream. Your ears are too big for the ears that they're falling on. And so as we wrap up this, this whole retreat and the idea of being at war and it's significant tomorrow, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about the armor of God and I'm gonna describe the armor of God. And it's gonna be the 17th week in a book with six chapters. But I did get to the book, unlike Romans. To be fair, I spent four months talking about Paul, who wrote the book of Romans. And so by the time we do finally get to Romans, all the heavy lifting is out of the way. And if you don't know who Paul is by this point, then you didn't hear those messages because I literally shared four months. I, I shared 25 messages on one guy. And so this idea of warfare where we've been... 17 weeks now to finally get to the point that you guys want to get to. You ever watch a really long movie? Oh, God. It's like uh, a three and a half, like Dances with Wolves or Titanic. We get it. The boat sinks. Like, get to, get to the... Oh, sorry to wreck it for you if you haven't seen the movie Titanic. But, uh, I watched a great movie the other day. Have you guys seen The Last Duel? Anybody raise your hand? You've seen The Last Duel with, uh, oh, that movie's so sick. Here's what I love about that movie. It's a long movie. Like, it's like a three-hour movie. But it's really three, three movies in one movie. It's, uh, it's the same story told from three different people's perspectives. And it's brilliant the way that it is written. And so because of that, it makes this really long story seem very personal and palatable. And see, when you have the story told to you the right way, it doesn't seem arduous. And so we're finally going to get to the point where we talk about uh, putting on the armor of God tomorrow. So I hope that, you, hope that you come and I hope that you bring somebody so that we can uh, wrap that up. And then we're going to go into a series after that called Teach Us to Pray, where we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer for like a month or five weeks or whatever the Holy Spirit allows us to do. And so as, as we wrap up this whole retreat coming out of a series of messages where we've been talking about war, um, what I want for you to take is to recognize and understand your position. I, I want you to understand and recognize your rank would maybe be a better way to say that. I never had the honor of serving in the military. I wanted to do it. I just uh, was too weak. 
And so I, I met with a recruiter for the Marine Corps when I was a senior, and I just was like, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm not tough enough to do that. And so I love uh, people who served in the military because they have a resolve that I clearly didn't have. But I've had the honor of going and speaking on lots of military bases. And uh, a few years ago, I got to go and uh, watch my friend, uh, Herb Griffin. It's Alan Griffin's brother. He was getting pinned. Uh, he's in the Navy. And he got pinned as a captain. It was like the equivalent of a colonel. He's about to get pinned as a, a rear admiral here uh, shortly. And, and on that base, I was on uh, Camp Foster, Marine Corps base in Okinawa, Japan. And uh, it was super sick because we got to meet, uh, we got to meet uh, the guy who was in charge of all the, the enlisted men. Uh, I'm not sure, Chase, whatever that, the highest rank, Sergeant, Sergeant Major. And he was like, he, would mur he murdered me by looking at me. It was incredible. He walked in the room and I was like, oh my God. This is insane. Like, he just was like, he had no neck. He was literally the, everything you would envision of a, of a Marine. He'd been in like 35 years. And we had this super cool honor to sit with him and Chaplain Griffin and the general who was in charge of the whole base. And we got to go to his house on base. And, and we sat on his porch as the sun his front deck as the sun was coming down on the ocean in Okinawa and it was the perfect night and we had really good old McAllen and we had Monte Cristo number two Cubanos and, the, and got to sit with the general and just listen to him. And, and uh, I said, uh, sir, if you could just give me one piece of advice just about life, what would that be? He said, be careful who gives you input. I'll slap, be careful who, because see, I let a lot of people give me input. I let people give me input on social media. I let people give me input on the news. I let people give me input on what I Google. He said, be careful who you let give you input. Here's what I discovered. Privates, almost never talk to the general. And if they do, they're not giving him advice. Some of you got a lot of privates, people that are low-ranking people who you're allowing to give input into your life, who you're allowing to tell you who you are as a husband or who you are as a father or who you are as a business guy or who you are fitness-wise or who you are from your potential or who you are in your sobriety. And you're letting people who are so insignificant put such a stamp on who you are. And yet you have people who are in your life who are high-ranking people not because of the position that they hold, but because of the knowledge that they contain. So that in the spirit, you can be the thoracic surgeon who sits around with a cigar in his hand and listens to a guy who, who drives a panel van, who graduated from high school, who's running the roto-rooter in town. 
because that guy knows about the things that you want to know about. And so who is it that you have in your life that's speaking into you and over you that you shouldn't have speaking into you and over you? And who don't you have in your life who should be speaking into you and over you? And there are guys in this room who you have walked by in the lobby, you have walked by at men's retreat, who could tell you more about being a father than you will ever know. Guys who can tell you more about running a business than you will ever know. And they'll tell you more about how to invest your money than you will ever know. They'll tell you more about how to be, like whatever it is that you're trying to be in life, they'll tell you more about that than you will ever know, but you haven't gotten access to them because you are allowing people who have no more knowledge than you to speak over your life. And so if you could take one thing away from this whole retreat, it would be what everybody has talked about, the idea of community. For this guy who wrote his doctoral dissertation, it was the community of the cigar. For you, it is the community of the kingdom. And so what is it that you need to do to press in and establish the relationships that God has for you? Who do you need to go to from a subservient standpoint? And who do you need to go to from a position of authority? Because a lot can happen in life between two robes. Would you close your eyes in this place? Maybe you're here and you're like, bro, like I just got the robe. I just got the father robe. I just, I just found favor. Like I got a calling on my life. And you gave your life to Jesus. And when you gave your life to Jesus, you felt like God had asked you to do something more with your life. He asked you to serve. He asked you to serve within our church community, or he asked you to serve beyond our church community and in the ministry. He asked you to start a nonprofit, or he asked you to start some sort of a outreach to somebody. And you, you feel like you're ill-equipped for that, but you feel like God gave you this, this robe and you, you, you feel like there's a lot of people that are trying to snatch it off your back. Sometimes you got to lose the father's robe just so you can get the Pharaoh's robe. There is a calling on the life of every man in this place from before you were in your mother's womb, a destiny that God had for you. That from that very moment, the enemy has been trying to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so, Father, today for every man in this room, I pray blessings over them, God. Whatever blessings I have, that you would transfer them to them. God, whatever authority I have that has been given to me through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would breathe that onto them with that ruah wind of God, that, that wind that blew in Genesis and that wind that blew in the book of Acts, that wind that blew in creation and that wind that blew at Pentecost, God, that that same breath of God would blow through this place and the power of your Holy Spirit would overwhelm us, would overcome all of our insecurities and our insufficiencies, God, all of the things that we think about ourselves, that the enemy that would try to make us feel small. We rebuke him in the power of Jesus' name, that there is no authority on heaven and earth that has anything over them other than you, God. So the word that you have spoken over them, we speak confidence over them, God. I speak authority over them. I speak peace over them. I speak prosperity over them, God. I speak success over them, God. I speak all of the confidence that you have in your kingdom, God. We come against insecurity, God. I come against inferiority. I come against anything that would 
make them feel like they are not going to accomplish the dream that you've called them. God, we have no idea what waits on the other side of that door. God, we have no idea while we're sitting in a prison cell who's going to give our name to Pharaoh so that we'll be summoned to the throne room of your kingdom to be given the assignment that you have called us to. So speak that over them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.